0: Cork are in serious trouble. In the Monster Championship, they're going to get beaten, they're going to get beaten early. And when the Cork crowd turn against them, they turn so harsh. The football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app.
1: OTB's The hurling pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. Paul Craven here in the national. I love.
2: People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Waterford, them, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love me county, you know. We love
1: John and, It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yep. just let themselves express themselves. It's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go.
2: Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling.
1: You are very welcome along to episode 5 of the Hurling Pod. The regular section of the league has come to an end. We now know our pairings for the semi-finals of this week in Division 1 of the Hurling League. We're going to have two pretty intriguing last four battles. A repeat of that epic semi-final from last year in the Championship where Kilkenny will play against Cork and there's an old South East battle between Wexford who completed a sweep of all of their games in Division 1A who will go up against the Waterford team who we've all been impressed by but they lost out to their rivals Kilkenny in the weekend just gone by. The the league was called a farce by joan Cantwell on league sunday last week we'll discuss uh, whether there are issues around the structure of division one of the hurling league and uh, division two because there's been plenty of commentary over the last 24 hours or so uh, limerick are staying up in division one for next year after their win against awfully but there is only one place to start and it's away from the results of last weekend let me take you back to cheltenham last wednesday and flooring porter once again winning the stairs hurdle as i jump over the last and Flooring Porter under Danny Mullins, we're now
0: closing the gap. is side out in the back of the field, but it is Flooring Porter who is going to retain his Stayers' Hurdle title very close to the places in behind, with possibly just getting up to second place on the outside painting department. It's own terrific front running ride, and Flooring Porter has retained the Stayers' Hurdle.
1: Mike Vince there On commentary at Cheltenham A man who ended up On ITV Racing's coverage Was James Skell Who's alongside me uh, With Paul Murphy As always on the hurling pod James have you recovered uh, Four or five days on now From the excitement And you ending up uh, Lifting Danny Mullins And being on the TV screens Last week
2: Yeah I didn't, I didn't uh, envisage myself Having a clikini man Up on my shoulders Out there in Cheltenham For sure But uh, it, uh, it was quite Quite the week Quite the week You asked me am I recovered I'm, I'm, I'm mentally recovered Not, not yet physically <laughs>
1: How did you get involved with the horse? Because um, this is a bit of a family affair, but also it's a syndicate around East Galway and South Common.
2: Yeah, so my my I have two uncles and a cousin. So Carl and Tommy are two uncles, and my cousin Alan. So those three are in with Ned Hogarty um, in Banagher, and they bought the horse basically. And <clears throat> it all started going back to when things got a bit serious, like it was uh, back in Navan back in uh when I suppose he had an outside shot to win and we all gathered around the airline to watch it. And next thing I was told by my uncle, that I wasn't allowed to leave because he won, the, he won the race. So whenever he was going to Cheltenham, I had to come. <laughs> that's that's a bit of good luck, you know. Um, so, like, I would, I, I'd be the first to admit, like, I'm not a big horsey man. Like, I, by, by any way, shape or form, you know, I would not have knowledge of, of uh, nine-tenths of people who are out in Cheltenham of, of the horses. But I just managed to be, uh, I suppose, in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Do you know? And look, I'm, deli- I'm delighted, like, I... Even though I was just myself and Aiden Hart were talking about it, Aiden came out with me as well. And like you know, for 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 a person who's an novice in, in in horse racing say, or, or even experienced in horse racing meets, that's it was one of the best sporting experiences I've ever had. You know, just to witness the the, the whole excitement, enjoyment, you know, and pure look at hysteria. That's what it was. There was, just, yeah, everybody was an autopilot there. We didn't even know what actions we were doing until they were recorded and, and sent back to us. You know, so. Well, look, I wouldn't change a thing for the world. You know, that's that's a memory one, uh, like a man would get in a lifetime.
1: James, compared to last year, no attendances on the track at Cheltenham. Everything was a bit subdued. Lockdowns were in the middle of last year, in March of twenty twenty-one. It must have made it that bit more special to actually be there at Cheltenham and to be able to cheer him on to success as he went back to back.
2: Yeah, sure. Look, well, it was it was It was great. Like in, I suppose at that time there was lockdowns in place and there was no real, I suppose, public facility go to watch the race or even go to the meet either. So just to witness the enjoyment on behalf of uh, of all my family, let's say, and everyone. In, I put involved in virtual commons with the horse, you know what I mean? That had a, I won't say a stake, well, some had a stake in them, but, you know, just to to, to see how happy they were um, and how, let's say, at a level. You see, you have to consider, I know, you have to consider where they're from, let's say, what, what they bought the horse for, who they're competing with, the budgets they're competing with. You know, and then that they win. So, like, that itself was just, was, was colossal. And then the excitement during the winner's enclosure was, like, nothing I've ever witnessed before, ever. And I don't think i will ever witness something like it again. You know, the whole place was was just hysteric, you know. Um, sober or not sober. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, look, by your by your own admission, you're saying you're not a big horsey man. But when you decided yeah. to get involved in this horse, did, had anyone indicated to you this is a potential horse that's going to go and win two big races in Cheltenham in back-to-back years?
2: Not at bit. Like, I, I didn't even know my uncle had a... I, Hand on heart, I'll say, it. we we were at, um, myself and my uncle, we were my, I'll tell you the truth now, right, like, my, when my grandmother passed away, right, we were at the house of the, during the wake, right, and the horse was running that evening, and the horse won, right, and that was pure surprise, you know, and the next thing, it got to Maven, as I said to there, a couple of years back, and then the horse won again in a long shot, and then it won at Christmas, and then I went to Cheltenham, and won again, and it's just like, it's, what have they got themselves here, you know what I mean? And then it probably, it probably leveled out a small bit over the last 12 months, you know, when he, when he got defeated in a couple of runs, but then came back and won it again. So I, they never dreamed of, I think that the type of people, the four guys who got involved in that are the type of people who you know want a bit of crack, enjoy going to a couple of race meets, uh, meet up as, as often as they can, say, and say, and kind of share the experience. And I don't think they ever, ever thought in their wildest dreams that when they got involved in this horse, they'd didn't, they didn't end up in the winner's enclosure with gentlemen, you know.
1: Remarkable times. We're never going to forget Patrick's week of 2022 and been there with uh, Flooring Porter. Paul, I'll give you a first shout on the discussion that happened on League Sunday. And you had to be a dedicated hurling fan to stay up uh, for the hurling highlights on League Sunday. They didn't get going until about 11 o'clock uh, last night. And then we were kind of treated to a bit of a discussion on the back of some one-sided games in the final round. And the word farce was thrown about, which has been discussed back and forth uh, all over the place over the last 24 hours. We've spoken about league structures a couple of times. Is farce going too far? Was this not just kind of a natural thing that was going to happen in the last round of the league, particularly where 1A was already decided and 1B was pretty much coming down to one single game?
0: Yeah, it's something we touched on maybe two or three weeks ago in the first place. We we, we kind of called that you know, the, the, the time between the end of the league and the start of the championship, just from experience, it's a very tight turnaround. And I don't think any team really fancied it. And something we were discussing between the three of us was which team would actually fancy doing that, would fancy the kind of maybe get into a league final and turn around in championship two weeks' time. That's, I think, just what we saw this weekend. A few of the matches were, like, most good few of the teams knew that they were finished. One or two teams still in contention, you know, Cork, the only team really true. So, like... It, We saw one or two teams pushing on, like the Kenny with a great performance, maybe even Watford's performance, a small bit flat coming towards the end. But I wouldn't call it a farce. If it was a farce, I think we would have seen it maybe four, five, six weeks ago. But this weekend, I think just what we're seeing is we see the teams who their heads are kind of out of the league game, aiming towards championship and the other teams who are still involved. But I think that's just, it was the main player over this weekend. But I don't think it's fair to say the whole league was a farce because you know, we've seen some really good games. We've seen teams pushing hard. But now once teams know that, okay, eyes are turning towards championship and other teams are still involved, there was just that dynamic over the weekend. But I, I, I don't believe it was a farce. I think it was a small bit heavy-handed as well.
1: What do you reckon, James? I mean, for a lot of teams, there were definitely competing motivations going into it. Like Cork go to Wexford, they know they're already into a semi-final. They've got Munster Championship half on the mind, and they know that they have to try players out because realistically, you're going to win as strong a hand as you possibly can in the semi-final. So it makes perfect sense when you've done the work to maybe try a few players out. Other teams knew that they couldn't qualify, so therefore they mix things up a little bit. Um, it wasn't necessarily like we can marvel at the football at the moment, which is great going into the final round, where there's so much in the line, and pretty much all four of the divisions. But that wasn't the case going into the last round yesterday.
2: Correct, like I correct, and I, I think the reason it was called farce is because there was a couple of hammerings dished out. You know, and I just think that was just it's not it's not unique to this type of league uh, format. That that happens from time to time. That's just that's just reality. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to say those teams are collateral damage. It's just reality. Certain teams at the top of the division of the league towards the bottom, there's a big gulf at the moment. I don't think we have the luxury of whereby the football have four even groups, you could say, four even groups of eight. We don't have that in the hurdle. We've got 12 in our top division, essentially. So if you were to go down to a, a group of eight, like you're eliminating the three who you'd say is Leash and Monopoly and with one big team, you know, then, then that one big team would, would potentially wipe, wipe division two, if you know what I mean. So, like, it's not an easy fix. I don't think it's a farce at all. I can fully understand where management teams come from towards the latter stages of the league they're fully focused on, on championship if they're out. So, for example, Galway and Clare are out. They're fully out. So it becomes a question of, as I said, we said there over the last couple of weeks, do you have to try to get some minutes into players? Are you trying to monitor injury prevention on some players or, so, or load? Or do you just want to try out some, you know, some new tactics or some, something like that and really start, to start your run into championship, you know? And, like, at, at the start of every year, to be honest, there probably only is a couple of teams really that really want to win the league. You know what I mean? I know everyone says they want to win it and that's fine you know when you're, st- when you're playing the game or you want to win it but do they really start as a target we want to win this league now, above Anthony no it's championship championship, championship is 100% ever, you know when we, when we talk about the great teams before uh, we're talking about right Henry Sheffield in Ireland I've no idea how many leagues yet you know what I mean it's all about based on championship and what you achieve in the day of championship so I think the league is fine I think it worked out pretty okay in that uh, probably the teams who showed the best form came to the top and were in for two good semi-finals
1: Yeah, look, I think the nature of the beast as well, Paul, when it comes to this, is that if it went back to an eight-team division, you would end up with two potential issues. One would be a lack of hurling for, at the very top level, for four or five teams who are trying to close that gap to the top eight or nine counties. Even if they are taking some heavy defeats, I don't think for a moment that Westmead haven't come on for the experience they got in Division 1 over the last couple of years, Leash having been there for the last decade, even Offaly have learned the level that they have to get up to uh, from going up to Division 1 this season. And then you mix in some counties like Antrim, Carlo, Kerry, who've been playing top flight and have been going up and down over the last few years, they would lose that experience if we went back to an 8 team uh, First Division. And also, I think if you cut it back down to an 8 team First Division, we're going to two round-robin championships effectively in Leinster and Munster afterwards. You could potentially, Paul, end up with a very Munster dominated Division One with the top eight, and then those teams playing each other multiple times in the Championship a few weeks later as well, which wouldn't make for good competition either.
0: No, exactly. And you hit the nail on the head in saying that. I mean, you're really just picking the same teams against each other in the league if you were to go that way. And also, like, if, if I suppose to play the devil's advocate for the people who are saying that the structure is good, stage then you juice these teams into, let's say, the top tier? Like, if, you're, if you want to say, okay, Antrim took a beating yesterday. Um, let's say the Carlos, the West and these teams, at some stage you have to introduce them to this level because this is the level, first of all, they want to play at. And it's the top level. You can't put them in a bubble the whole time yet expect them to develop to this level. And as far as I'm concerned, look, we've seen some really good days. Like we've West Mead perform really well. We've seen Carlo go up to play and perform really well a few years ago again. You know, we've seen Antrim again, I've said it before, they did two big scouts last year, you know, off Clare So you see them doing it. It's just harder for them to do it consistently. But that's not to say uh, the system is wrong. Look, Teams are where they are, and what we're trying to do is bring them up to have a lot of teams up at this level. The only way, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, we can do that, is introduce them. And this is the environment we've done it. You're going to have days where where teams take a beating. Unfortunately, the team that comes up is also probably the team that's going to get relegated again um, until they gather a bit of traction. But to be honest, I think the teams you have to ask is them. Like It's no good us standing back and saying, yeah, this is a good system. I think those teams will tell you it's a good system because they're going playing in simple Stadiums, Corky Queens. they're playing in Dublin, they're, they're playing the teams they want to play against. And for those, for, I suppose the trade-off with that is the odd day you'll take a beating. But I guarantee you the one day that you do take a scalp, it completely overrides the days you take a beating. So for me, anyway, looking at it, I think the system is in a really good place. And look, you just have to be realistic about it. Some days it's not going to work out ideally the way you want it, but I think it's been bearing a lot of fruit over the last years and it's not all all doom and gloom, bar one or two weekends.
1: Yeah, I think as well, James, before we dig into some of the games from the weekend just gone by, something that someone's forgotten about is that there's a focus on Limerick have put 429 past offly. seven goals have gone past a, a second-string Antrim team that played against Tipperary, because understandably their focus is on this Saturday and staying up. The focus goes on that, but not so much on take down, for example. Two years ago, get to a Christie ring final, uh, competed in the Joe McDonough and stayed up last year, and now they've beaten Westmead and Kerry to go directly into a Division Two A final. That, to me, looks like massive progress. That Down, for the first time in fourteen years, could be going back up into Division One. That's a massive jump from them in a fairly short period of time.
2: Will, you're right. Like, if you were to look at the landscape of the league across, you know, from from team one to thirty five, it just is very easy for a cynical person to focus in on some of the, I suppose, negative results that were just spoken about. There were those large margins of defeat. But if you look at Down, who, who've taken off. Let's say big wins, you know, in, in their division to top it off. And now they're heading into a final. And that's the only way these, these counties gain, gain traction, as Paul was saying, and gain, gain a bit of positivity to compete with, you know, at the, the second sport in the county. So, like, I'm, I'm all for having all these teams exposed to top-level games, top-level opposition, because at the end of it all, after a couple of years' work, who knows where they can get to that. And, like, we could sit here, truthfully speaking, we could sit here in another two years' time and down could be... In Division one and, and, and maintaining and status in Division one. So, again, I think it's the whole landscape as a whole is in a positive state.
1: Yeah great setup In Division 2A It's been an excellent Division so far Where teams have just Been beating each other As it works out Down can put the feet up For this weekend Uh, Probably maybe go along And scout in Mullingar On Saturday When Westmead play Against Kerry In the semi-finals For the right to play Against Down in the final With Division 1 promotion On the line And we've got that Relegation semi-final uh, Between Offaly and Antrim At a neutral venue This Saturday as well Uh, The games that really mattered from this weekend Were one in particular In Division 1B Which held the key To the semi-finals A victory for Kilkenny uh, The couple of goals Made all the difference in the end against Waterford 221 to 21 points a game that was probably one that was her closest to championship intensity of any of the games we had this weekend and at this stage Paul Clekenny have to be pretty happy with their work a narrow defeat in Thurlis aside that's a very impressive campaign where they've actually finished top of Division 1B
0: Yeah absolutely I think any Clekenny supporter will be only happy with the way Clekenny's stock is rising over the last while Um, and I think just what I suppose the a very steady way in which they've done it is great. Like, again, when they were beaten by Tipperary and Turles, I suppose Kilkenny and Tipperary that day weren't overly happy with their performance. Again, early in the league, a lot of whites hit, a lot of mistakes made, which, look, anybody will know that's going to happen early in the league. But, you know, I said it last week where I fancied Waterford off the back of the Tipperary match and how I saw them in the Tipperary match really, I suppose, maybe coming out, winning by three or four points. But I knew Kilkenny would give them a game. But look, it just wasn't the case. Waterford's energy wasn't there as far as I was concerned compared to what they brought to the Tipperary match. Even seeing it on the sideline, like, you know, Liam Cahill and they cut to him wasn't as intense. Maybe that was just a reflection of, of the, the mindset going into the match. I think they wanted to win it and they wanted to perform really well. But there was maybe a bit more on the line for Kilkenny and that Kilkenny, you know, this was a big scalp for Kilkenny. And similarly, the way they lost to Tipperary they wanted to test themselves and test their metal against again another really good performing team, so yeah, I was really happy. And I think every supporter will be happy. Waterford took off really well in the match, um, set up a fairly good lead, four or five points. And I kind of thought, geez, I hope they don't kick on a bit more here now. But Kilkenny just got to grasp with Waterford and kind of figured out their system. They, they avoided de Burka really well. de Burka was in the game, you know, as, as de Burka always will be, but. You know, Kilkenny worked the ball around him. And once Kilkenny figured out what Washford were doing, Kilkenny really imposed themselves on the game. And, you know, they were playing the game on the front foot, pushing forward. We saw Killian Buckley getting through for the goal. Um, and the thing we talked about again last week and the week before was just, look, Brian looks for the hooks and the blocks and the tackling. And he's not happy, even if you win by six points, he's not happy if you're not doing that because he knows that'll, you know, that'll come home to roost at some stage. And I just saw the Kilkenny lads, you know, the ones that I'd be always saying to teams, if I'm talking to lads or if I'm if I'm training lads, Sometimes, look, we all see the hook or the block that's a clean one and the ball doesn't go anywhere. But the ones where you get, a, you put a fella off or you just get a little bit of a hook and he hits the ball wide, they are as important as the ones that are very clean. And Kilkenny did that a few times yesterday where they just basically stopped the score. And I can guarantee Brian would be as delighted with that. A ball that might have been a 70-30 or an 80-20, the Kilkenny boys were still chasing and they would have got a little flick. And, you know, that kind of stuff gives it a bit of confidence to Kilkenny. And, kind of knocks a small bit of confidence with Watford. Um, but look, again, Watford still had their chances. They came back into it, brought it back to within three in the end. Um, but thankfully, again, which is another good sign, Kenny just kicked on again a small bit. And there was lots of positives all over the pitch for the Kenny. Walter Welsh hitting a bit of form again. He and Kenny, again, has just been really, has, has been great. David Blanchfield looking back. Mikey Butler, you know, a few of the new lads have been hurting really well. So I think the Kenny would be really happy with, like I said, where their stock is rising. Um, there's no concerns with we'll Watford at the moment. But uh, look, again, all around positivity, I suppose. And look, it, it was close to championship, but it wasn't full on the cut and trusted championship. But uh, again, like we were saying earlier, there's still one bit of an eye on keeping teams fresh. And if you have any doubt over players, maybe holding them back a small bit.
1: Yeah, James, and one of the things I noticed when I rewatched the match uh, this morning was that Kilkenny were very conscious in keeping the ball away from De Burka. There was actually some very clever, slightly risky at times, distribution coming out from the back. You're more used to maybe Owen Murphy going long more regularly than what Kilkenny are doing at the moment. Sometimes they were very happy to work it out, even though there was a lot of short passes from the full-back line to the half-back line, and then they would work an area. Or there were plenty of times when Owen Murphy went down towards the right and then Walter Walsh or Killian Buckley would go over to that side to uh, create a bit of a, an overlap for them to have extra players when the ball was coming out. But they made sure that Waterford's half-back line weren't able to get the ball and run with it in the way that they have to damage some other teams. That, to me, seemed quite clever tactically from Kilkenny to try and neutralise that area where Waterford had been so good.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think what Kilkenny do uh, re- really well is, they. I, I think I won't say use the word adapt or adapt a system to kind of neutralise um, the opposition's best players, but they they, they make the, the middle third, as we've always said, a very, very difficult place to play the game. You know, and uh, so what you'll often see, and I would be very interested in the way Owen Murphy at the pace at which he takes book outs, if you watch like nine-tenths of goalkeepers, as soon as the ball goes dead, they're racing to get the ball to get it into play straight away because they're hoping the opposition are a bit, you know, disorientated or not quite structured. And I was watching Owen yesterday and he was very measured, you know, in the way he was the way he's taking puck outs, if he was going a bit a bit fast, fair enough, he'd, he'd go up short. If he was going slow, I think it was nearly a signal for the guys outfield we're going to load the side here, bring up some bodies, maybe not go as long as he can because it just look, didn't look like he was going as long as he can in terms of his strike or his power it looked like he was taking 15, 20 yards off it and placing the ball into his own and then everyone just get in there and as soon as his body's there, it makes it very difficult for a tight worker to try sweep up and come forward on a kind of on a, on a, on a, a numerical adventurous look. So I like that. And again, if, if Waterford couldn't get on top to one of their main guys, Ty, Ty does an awful lot of, of set-up play for Waterford. If that kind of, I suppose, avenue was blocked for Waterford, it becomes very difficult for them to get their game plan into, into play. And like 21 points, I know they didn't have quite all their clientele on, on the pitch, but they put up 21 points. They still had 10 scores. So as, as Paul said, it's not all doom and gloom for, for, for them.
1: Paul there were a couple of turnovers when Kilkenny were coming out with the ball a bit shorter maybe than normal like how would you have felt in that system where you see old Murphy playing a short passy, and then there were short stick passes to Richie Reed a couple of times there it was I think once where they got cut out and Waterford were able to get a score off the back of it but still we're seeing this throughout the league where Kilkenny are trying to just mix up their approach a little bit it seems
0: yeah absolutely and and that's part of when you're trying to implement something into a game you have to weigh off that. Things won't work out 100% of the time. And we saw it in the Tipperary match where Jason Ford got out one and stuck a ball in the back of the net. There is risks there. Waterford got a point, I think, in the first half. Um, Owen hit one to Huey Lawler. I think the ball broke down somewhere and Waterford turned over and got a point. But I think what's really encouraging is that that didn't deter Kenny from continuing. They know that this is what they want to do. Brian knows that this is what we want to do. And I think a sign of lack of confidence in a team is if that happened and you just completely go away from it, then you're going, well, we don't think we have the capability to do it, so we're just going to stop doing it. Instead, Kilkenny went, no, we made a mistake there. It's one point. Let's just go back at it again and let's just keep doing. And the result is then that Watford have to step up. They have to step up in their players because if you know um, that Owen Murphy, even if he makes a mistake, he's still going to give it to Richie Reid if you step off him or he's going to give it to David Blanchfield or Tommy Walsh. Well, then you can't take a risk any time that, you know, if you stay off him, that he's not going to, he's going to hit it long. So it's great that Kilkenny are sticking to the plan. And I think with any game plan, you have to weigh off that. Whatever you're trying to do, it's not going to work 100% of the time. And okay, if you turn over a point, we see teams now are racking up. You know, it's nearly 30 points to win a championship match. Now, if your game plan is played play a certain way and you hand over one point in the game playing that way or the ball breaks down, well, that's, I think that's a good trade-off if, if at the other side that this is actually paying dividends on the scoreboard. So what I was really encouraged about was, yeah, there was one or two mistakes doing it. But Kilkenny just went, that's fine. That's part of it. We believe we can do this and let's keep doing it. So that was really encouraging that way. And it just showed as well that they were going, okay, they were really thinking, what way do we get around de Burka? Because he's very influential. What way that's, he, He's the launch pad had for Watford. How do we get around him? And look, I believe if they met Watford again at a later stage in the year, There'll be a bit more go in Watford And Watford will have something maybe for Kilkenny That they didn't have yesterday But look, Kilkenny can play what was in front of them yesterday And what was in front of them, they played really well And, And sticking to the game plan I thought they did it really well yesterday
1: James, Kilkenny still some players to factor coming back in. You know, TJ Reid, Chief among them. And slowly but surely, they've just been factoring back in the Ballyhill players over the last couple of games too. Mm-hmm. Richie Hogan is another player who's going to be around. You know, he obviously was part of the Match Day 26 for yesterday, but his uh, game time has been very limited in the league so far. What kind of role do you think that Richie Hogan's actually going to play for Kilkenny this year?
2: Um, I'd, I'd have to say, Alex, like, from, from, from an outsider looking in, I don't think it'll differ too much from what it's been the last couple of years. You know, is he able to start off the game and be as highly influential as he was in the years previous? Probably not. I think he's had again. You know, Paul might tell you this better, but I think he's had the odd in, injury issue over the last couple of seasons. But that may kind of deter him getting a run of form. You know, because it's it's quite difficult when you get up in the years to get a run of form, then get an injury setback, then get the form back in again to uh, to take on players like the own Cody's, Adrian Mullins, and whatnot, who are who are they're, look at they're young, energetic. They're they're I suppose they're. They don't quite carry the, the muscle locks that the older guys are are, uh, are prone to. So I think he'll probably play, you know, a 25-minute role, half an hour role max, I think, as, as the year goes on. um, I think his, lim- his minutes at, the min- at, the, at the, his minutes are probably being structured at the moment. You know, I don't think he's been forced into League Championship maybe because the ground's a bit heavy. Uh, and then you look at, when you add up all the, the guys they have, you mentioned, like, you put in TJ, Owen Cody, Adrian Mullen, Wally Walsh is back on form again. And then you just take someone... Like Parik Walsh and fire him there to the forwards, and next thing he, he's like a duck to water. You know, he, he's down in central forward uh, yesterday, but he pop up on the 10, 12 wing with, with scores, finish off with five points. He's been one of the players of the league for me. So when you put him into a forward unit like that, and at the same time, introduce a couple of backs who now have come to the. Like, Hugh Lawler has gone up, let's be honest about it. David Lashley's has been introduced now, and Richard Reed has been dropped central back, which I didn't expect that at all for him to be there. And they're all. You know, they're all carrying themselves fierce well. So like that's that's allowing Parig Walsh to go up because if you asked me this six months ago or a couple of months ago, if I put Park Walsh in the forwards will he, can he suffer? I would have said absolutely. Their their backs unit will definitely suffer. But like that that hasn't happened. So they seem to be developing a fierce, nice balance, you know, whereby they can they can choose to move move certain players up into different positions. Like even Killing Buckley that, that was noted last night in Sunday game. So like I think as I said there's a great balance of what, what guys have there they don't just have a 17 or 18 panel players they seem to have a 20, 21, 22 and come the long Robin championships that's what's needed numbers yeah.
1: On uh, Park Walsh Paul we kind of expected he was going to end up becoming Kilkenny's next number 6 and that's where he was going to play now he's a versatile player but he adds a little bit of extra ball winning and he's been really impressive in a more advanced role in the league do you think that's where he's going to end up come championship
0: yeah we're well, looking at the moment from the outside point of view you'd have to say it probably is um, Park looks from when Park came on the scene, really, 2014. Um, Park was introduced today. Actually, we played G James up in up in Tullamore, and I think he played that day was a midfielder, half forward, and gradually he, he ended up in the All Ireland final at wing back that year. And he actually, to be honest, if, if you're asking me, he played himself out of an All Star because he played so well in a few different positions from wing forward to wing back. So as a result, he was so versatile, he was moving around. and didn't stay put in one position. That's the kind of player that Park is. Park can play anywhere, same as Tommy. From the half back line up to the half forward line, mean, no problem. Um, it does bring a great bit of versatility to Kenny because Richie Reed, we've seen him with Hill. he's a great centre back, he's brilliant again. He's this this modern center back of drifting back and the ball comes out really kind of through him and he knows how to get on the ball, and then his distribution is really good. Um, so it allows us to push Park Welch that up that bit further. And you know, if you're you, you want a fill at center forward who's gonna ask questions of Mark Coleman, who's gonna maybe ask questions of uh, you know, let's say and any of the top centre-backs, you know, as opposed to them dominating the area, you now have a fella who's an all-round hurler who you now have to go and follow and watch and that's what Parik Welsh does for that position and you saw when Watford took their eyes off him in the game, maybe Tyler Burkett didn't step up or maybe Parik Welch drifted, he got on balls and I think he got three points in the game and that's just what he'll do so, like James is saying there, can you actually find in the balance here now of, okay, Parik can go up there and we have Killian Buckley who would normally be at wing-back, is midfield but he has the legs to get from left corner forward where he got the goal, right back to help Richie Reid. Richie Reid then does this kind of a, a quarterback type of, sit, moves around as, a, as the ball breaks down, picks it up and then moves it out of the fence. So, Porrick is looking like he'll be in and around centre forward and it looks like, look, I mean, Brian has left him there for the whole league campaign, so you have to believe that's what the indicators are. And I don't think there's any reason to move him out there at the moment. The way the backs are playing, I don't think there's any need to push him back because after one game yesterday we saw Richie Reid is more than capable of playing there. So I I'd, I'd fully expect to see Park with 11 on his back home championship.
1: Yeah, I would think as well, Paul, look, it's a rejuvenation in many ways. It gives a new option there. Also, the fact that, as James mentioned just a few minutes ago, Walter Walsh looks like a man who's rejuvenated now again, like he's hurling with great energy. He adds great physicality and the finishing is there as it's always been, really like Walter Walsh is right back to form, it seems.
0: Yeah, and, and, and what, what Walter's been doing that's been brilliant now, he has savage aggression in him at the moment, which is, which is great to see because he's an intimidating kind of character. Like you were talking about a fella who was in Tyke Furlong's class in school and would have made a great rugby player. Um, he, he actually played underage for Leinster and like the size of him when he has aggression, like he's he's, he's an intimidating man. Um, now he goes about his business, but we saw, you know, against Wexford in the Leinster final last year, he didn't start came on, caught the ball at wing forward and ran straight through Wexford. They couldn't stop him, batted the ball to the net. And like this kind of aggression, Wally would feel he should be starting every single game. And you know, maybe Brian has been playing a clever game of maybe making him hungry or maybe making him angry or whatever he wants to do. Brian will do that to you. And he, he doesn't mind what you think of him if he if he, if he does do that. When we saw Walter yesterday, I mean I think what what a Walter was the shoulder he hit. I, I can't remember who he hit it to actually yesterday. I think it was maybe it was number seven there for Waterford. But he hit him a shoulder and like sent him out over the sideline. A man who's six foot one, six foot two, out over the sideline, back into position. You know, that in itself, I thought was a statement from Wally yesterday. And he he was just he was making a nuisance of himself, and he was popping up with his few scores. So, like you said, it's it's I think Jackie referred to it last night as it's nearly like a new sign on on a, on a team is that you've rejuvenated a fella and now he's back. Look, Walter, as far as I'm concerned, wasn't in any bad form over the last few years. He was really tipping along well. But just in terms of when he gets going and he gets motoring down that wing, there's very few lads w- would stop him. We- we've seen him battle against Paddy Marr, and I would have seen him over the last few years, and very few lads would physically, I suppose, um, go toe to toe with, with, with Paddy Marr. But Wally's one of them, so I suppose that asks the question: Who else can actually go toe to toe with him? Um, so for Kilkenny at the moment to have Walter there, and another big thing, I suppose, the last thing I'll say to him is: When Walter Welsh gets the ball, if you're in Nolan Park, Pro Park, the, the crowd love him. Um, so when he gets the ball, you should, like the Kilkenny crowd roar when he gets it because he's just one of these characters that, you know, they love to see him and they know what he's capable of when he does get it. So when he's tipping over for Kilkenny, he gets through savage work and he, I suppose when he's going well, Kilkenny are going well as well, it's fair to say.
1: Well, James, when we started off having a look after two rounds of the league and we were kind of taking stock going into that break, we were wondering about the Leinster Championship and it looked very difficult to call at this stage you can't say anything against Wexford's form four wins out of four but Kilkenny probably have to be considered a very big contender for Top Dog and Leinster once again based on what they've done since that break and the wins that they've had
2: yeah like I look I'll be honest I, I, I'll tell you after the Tipperary game <clears throat> I thought geez, maybe Kilkenny were ranking you know in terms of Leinster they could be on fourth at this stage you know what I mean because Dublin started out fierce well at Wexford we saw what they are doing this is after the Gauvin Limerick game so it's a case of like I genuinely will I can't call the situation in Linster at the moment. Um I said last week you come down to who's going to whose ground, you know, and like Galway have to go to Wexford, Kilkenny have to come to Galway. You just don't know how these these you know, the, the strength of having a venue, your home grow, crowd crowd will, will actually participate in a teams championship, you know. And like it's interesting Paul Paul would note like that while he was when he gets the ball, the crowd love him. We like we knew that. You know, we knew that if Walter Walsh gets the ball or TJ Reid, you've got to shut them down. Keep, keep, kind of keep the energy from the crowd. Keep keep away, how would I put this now? Stop the crowd giving energy to the players. You know what I mean? So like, and look, there's probably players for Galway that do the same thing, players for Wexford and so on. But we knew from Wally Walsh, if he gets a, run, gets a run and it's coming down the wing flying and hits it off the right, they they, they love that. Like, You know what I mean? So try and stop that, nullify it uh, and uh, keep him out of the game, essentially. But like, like, to go back to your question, like who's who's number one at the moment in Leinster? I think all all roads point to point to expert. You know what I mean? I, I don't think anyone can say now with a degree of seriousness that they're not number one at the moment. Um and again, they they have everything going for them. They have they have the farm, they have a, a positive management team, they seem to have players in great condition, players in form, and they have players like Roy O'Connor, who is a let's say last year in the before that, was a good player. You know, he was good, he, he would pop up with a couple of points. But now he's taken it to a new level entirely. Now he's taken over the whole thing, and he's he's putting a, you know, kind of a Joe Canning influence onto a game, a TJ Reid influence onto a game, whereby he's knocking up one seven, one eight, one nine, one ten, and becoming just uh, a household name. So I think Leinster championship is going to be very interesting because Munster would uh, predominantly over history of the game would have been the most dominant championship and probably the, would have produced the best entertainment. But I think right now Leinster can challenge that.
1: Yeah, well, look, we'll jump around a little bit here because we know that Waterford are going to play against Wexford, so it gives a way to talk maybe about both teams, to look at Wexford's win against the Cork team who didn't have Horgan starting, didn't have Fitzgibbon starting midfield. They did mix and match a little bit going into that last game and knowing that both teams are already qualified. We can't get away, Paul, from talking about Rory O'Connor. He scores the goal without a hurl. I know he's a keen (laughs) footballer as well, but a magnificent uh, bit of ingenuity to finish the ball to the net. He scores 1-12, to give Wexford a sweep of wins in Division 1A. And this system that Dara Egan has implemented is getting the most out of Rory O'Connor since he's come back from injury. And it's probably hard to argue he's not the form hurler in the country right now.
0: Yeah, no, I, do, I do fully agree with that. And... Um, like we, we, we said it very early on that he's he's a joy to watch when he gets going, but he's gone to a different level this year to what we've seen over the last few years. And like that, what it said to me when he scored the goal, like he dropped a hurl on the 21, didn't flinch for a second, kept going towards goal, got the ball, had a bit of calmness knowing he could only take four steps and you know, sidestep to kick the ball into the net. For me, what that was saying was that's just a player who is in a flow mode at the moment, like is in... He just knows what he wants to do. He goes and does it. There's no hesitancy about what he's doing. He picked up a few other great scores as well that were just, you know, they they may look simple, but I think it just reflects his mentality at the moment. He picked one up in the first half there out towards uh, what would be the left half-hour position for for Wexford. And when he got it, he looked like he was going to slowly sweep back around and he just turned sharply and and left the Cork defender for dead, created this small bit of space and tapped it over. And like for that to me just showed... um, I suppose the variety of scores he's getting at the moment, he's definitely not known by any means is calling him a one-trick pony. Far from it. He's he's getting his goals. He's coming out the field, picking up a few balls. He's running at defences. He got another one in the second half where he got it, ran straight through the heart of the fence. And there was one thing on his mind. I'd say if he got a little bit closer, he was going to hang it up, but put it over the bar. And then he's picking up the ones out in the wing then. And, you know, there's no error. There's no doubt about him. He's putting them over the bar. So... Definitely for a Wexford fan, it's, 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 it's really exciting. And I think something, again, we, we've touched on, you know, Conor McDonald popped up with one or two scores as well yesterday. But usually it was Conor McDonald that they were looking for for an inspirational performance or Lee chin. Roy O'Connor is doing that seamlessly now at the moment, so allows them players just to go off. And no one's probably kind of really overly mentioning them at the moment, which as far as Wexford would be concerned is ideal really for them. Um, and look any defender going out now at the moment Mark and Rory O'Connor you'd really have to be on top of your game at the moment and I think Darry Egan is just delighted that he has his I suppose you'd have to say his marquee forward going into championship which every team is looking for one Wexford have one at the moment
1: yeah James he's going to be a very difficult player to be marked both for Waterford this weekend and also when Championship comes around in a few weeks' time, you're probably going to have to give a bit of extra attention to Rory O'Connor with the way he's playing. Uh, He's playing almost at the level now. I remember when he was a stellar minor along with his brother on the Wexford team and he did similar feats to now where he would score double digits with points, be in for goals, will be kind of running the show from the half forward line. There's no way he's a pure uh, inside forward line kind of player. He likes to drift out and get into space. Gonna be very difficult for teams to actually deal with him if Wexford get as much ball into the forward line as they have been in these last yeah. four or five fixtures.
2: Yeah, and Jordan Jordan it does as well, as Will. It makes a team it makes it very difficult for a management team and a set of backs to be proactive in their setup. You know, you can't really plan for your Conor. Like you can't really say, okay, he'll be here for X amount of minutes. This is what we'll do when he's at the corner of our position, because the game is so frantic, you know, that you like and he drifts off and moves into positions and that, that you don't, it just it's not associated with the number on his back. So if he's wearing 13, it's rare you could find him in 13 position unless he's finishing off a shot, you know. So it's very difficult for a team to actually set up to notify him. I think what, you, what you'll see with him now is because he's so influential to Wexford, and a bit like we were saying about what he, what he watched in the crowd, like he's beginning to be loved now by Wexford. So you've got to put a man mark on him, put a guy who has similar kind of physical attributes that, that he has. That's pace, you know. It's hard to get a big man who's fast and who can hurl off both sides in, in, a, in a defensive unit. Um, so, you're going to have to try and, and somehow put, put that person on him and just say, follow him where you go, knock him off his runs, you know, kind of initiate contact as soon as you can with them, try and keep him out of rooks, let's say, or keep him uh, kind of away from where the ball is going to be and, and just see how it goes. Because, like, you can either mark the space as a defensive unit or mark the man. You know, you can't really do both. Like, if you're, you're Mark Murray Connery, you've got to pick one. So, if you're going to mark space with him, put a couple of lads in around him, in the vicinity, but that just frees up other guys. You're going to have to mark the man, go after him one to one and see where it takes you. Yeah. And like I said yeah, like to it's, you, it's hard to really react in, in, in real time unless you have a plan. If you've got a plan to have a man one-on-one on one on kind of, and the rest of the guys then can take care of the space unit with the, with the rest of the forwards. So at least that lot for some part sort of pro-action for defensive units. What you hate happening in games is having to be ultra-reactive where you're kind of thinking within milliseconds of, of what's, if something's happening and kind of you're going against the plans or going against what she discussed in Alice. Like, that's, that's where things get a bit of... Um, turn into a bit like a pandemonium situation. So and that's where scores can be conceded easily.
1: Yeah, Paul, I ended up in a Twitter thread with a whole lot of Wexford supporters yesterday on the back of this because the question they were asking was, what happens when Lee Chin is fit again? Like, where is he going to fit in? I said, look, I think Lee Chin probably gets back into the half-forward line. This guy won an All-Star back in 2019 and was so crucial to the way that Wexford played. And the point being made by some of the Wexford supporters were, well, hold on a second. Darry Egan has now got a forward line that's working well as a unit. They're getting the most out of Rory O'Connor. They're freeing up space for Connor McDonald, And maybe there's an argument not to put you in directly back into the forward line if it means that this is able to get the best out of Rory O'Connor.
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly it. It, it is the old case of if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So, I mean, unfortunately, maybe it's not unfortunate, but there's some players then again that the rule is exempt to Lee Chin probably being one of them. But darigan Egan, that, these are the tough decisions managers have to make. Like, it's it's even one of those decisions that if that's the way you're, you're thinking of going, you, you, you say it to Lee Chin. You say, listen, we're entering championship now. Maybe you haven't got the hurling that we'd like you to have. Um, But I'm showing confidence in the forward line I've started. And it's up to you now to go and grab a jersey. And I think any competitive player would would go, that's fair enough. Like, as a player, when you pick up an injury, like, you don't look at it going, well, I'm deservant of a jersey when I go back if, if you're honest about it, you're always fairly anxious when you start seeing a fella going well because any, play, any manager or, or management with a bit of integrity will go, have to reward the players who are hurling well regardless of the fella's name because you are taking a small bit of a gamble on a fella. But likewise, you know, it's a round-robin phase. There's lots of games. There's lots of games to introduce um, Lee Chin into. Um, if they do have this scenario when they come to championship and they've no injuries and Lee Chin is ready to rock, come back in, well, there's a tough call to be made there. But, from what we've seen over the last few years, you know Wexford are going to pick up the odd niggle, the odd injury, and there's your ideal opportunity to introduce each in, or maybe introduce them, you know, half an hour into a game. But very easy in one way, and 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 maybe tricky in another. But the easy way is like literally you just lay your cards on the table and you say, look, this is the situation. But I would agree with Wexford fans. You know, they are moving well. They, they are where they are because they're performing really well. So I'd understand them saying, look, we don't want to break this now um as good as Lee Chin is he's brilliant but at the same time I think the big positive from it will be that Lee Chin knows that they're moving well and he knows if he does get a chance he really has to perform well which for Dara Egan that's a brilliant place to have someone like Lee Chin because as far as I'm concerned he'd hit the ground running when he gets back so look Wexford fans I think is a great dilemma to be in and uh it's uh, One thing I'd encourage you is don't enter a thread on on Twitter too many times with Wexford fans no. because uh, it's not an easy place to go. But no, look, it's a great place for Wexford to be. Um, and look, if you, they would have taken your hand off before the league if this was the scenario of the new going into championship. So look, um, it's a dilemma for Darry Egan to solve, but I've no doubt he'll, he'll uh, relish, the, relish the opportunity trying to solve it.
1: Yeah, because look, James, it's been a great turnaround because I spoke to a few friends of mine who are Wexford fans after the Walsh Cup final when they came out against that game against Dublin and they were quite concerned they were, looked leaky they looked like they were a bit off the pace coming into the league and now here we are coming out of the league talking about Wexford genuinely being the form team in the country right now
2: yeah and like you can point to everything with, with systems and, and they have the, they've the, they've the best defence in the whole top flight of the league um, you can point to the, the, the forms our players are in but the biggest fact for me is they're winning that's it you know, they're winning, they've beaten the Ireland champions, they've beaten that Ireland finalists, they've beaten Galway, you know? so, like, I know it's easy, and you, sometimes you might, get, um, you might get sidetracked on, let's say, performances that certain players have produced in the past, you know, that's fine, so that's, that's respected, they deserve that, but, like, we're in the present, and then so, some people pop up in the present, and they, they give such performances, like, like Warrior Connors were saying, that they can't be switched around, or they can't be moved to accommodate a person who's coming back from an injury, like, so I, I, I agree with Paul 100%, Barry Egan is rubbing his hands here thinking I've got a leash in now who's chomping at the bit who sees a forward unit ticking well there's now public opinion in Wexford that it's ticking well so now there's another challenge off the pitch so he's going to have to probably pull up his socks and give as much as, he, give as, much as the guys in the pitch are giving at the moment and uh, like when you've got strength and numbers and I keep going back to it and I keep saying the same thing the round robin is literally you know it's tough tough work on the body you know you need as you, get, as you progress through it <clears throat> you need all the players at your disposal the top level players because when you get to the fourth and fifth game into the 60-minute situation, you know, players are going to feel it like injuries are going to happen, so you're going to want everyone to champion the bit. And if you have a group, if you you know as a management team, now I'm not, obviously a manager, but I, you can feel it as a player. You've got a sweet spot situation whereby you've got 25, 30 guys chomping for the same jersey. You've got a bad situation where you've only got the 15 guys going, going for it. If you've got the other 15 guys you're discontented and they're kind of throwing the towel or throwing, throwing tight over the pram, that's a bad dynamic for a team. If you have everyone on the same page going the same direction, that breeds the best possible team out of that squad. You know, So that's why I'd say Dara is looking towards it and going, the more that we can breed here, the better. Go for it.
1: It's, look, it's a good scenario to have as well. If you've got Lee Chin who can go back in, similarly Waterford might have to work out what they're going to do with Jamie Barron now as we move a bit towards Championship as well. But these are proven players who you know that you can put in. You know what you're going to get from them when it comes around to these games as well. James, I'll give you a first shout on the derby this weekend then between Waterford and Wexford in the semi-finals of the league because you know, Waterford did mix it up a little bit at the weekend against Kilkenny. They brought some of their players back in. But still, I'm sure Liam Cahill's delighted to have Desi Hutchinson, Pork Mahoney available now and uh, back, and maybe have a couple of weeks of training behind them since they've come back in. How do you see this game going at the weekend?
2: Uh, very tough. We haven't seen a fixture. Uh, we obviously know it's this weekend, you know? like Wexford, I believe are um, are looking towards home advantage. So at least again, that's 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 a positive one from their situation to have their crowd behind them again. Um, I think the two finally even it, again. It depends. It depends. Well, if both teams put out the best set of players that have available to them this will go anywhere. You know, I, I, I actually can't call it to be honest. I, truthfully speaking, I would have said to you last week, or the week before, that I'd I probably look at water continuously on the that they're, they're still rising and rising and rising. And then I look at Wexford and they're still rising. <laughs> I thought they might have peaked off, let's say, after the, kind of the Galway games. That, that was probably the best produce. couple of performances they produced with Limerick and Galway that they can't get much better. And they're proving me wrong. They're getting better as it is. So if I'm going to put them as number one in my hurling rankings, I'm not going to say they're going to get beaten this weekend. I'm going
1: to go Wexford. <laughs> well, there we go. Power rankings uh, proven before we even get a chance to talk with them. Wexford yeah. on top of James Scales' list. Uh, Paul Murphy, who's going to win? What Wexford or Waterford this weekend?
0: Yeah, again, like, I mean, you could tip the scales very easy here. Um, I suppose, look, uh, I saw that Liam Cal was saying after the game, like, I do think a lot still goes back to the first point we made um, at, at the start of the podcast just about um, where teams' mindsets are at the moment. But I do think we're facing two teams here. Liam Kyle said that, you know, Watford want to win the league. Um, and I do believe Wexford want to win the league as well because they're two teams that, for their efforts over the last few years, okay, let's say Wexford won Leinster in uh, 2019. But, you know, silverware is a big thing for these teams going forward because they seem to have strength in numbers at the moment, like we were saying. They're not overly concerned with injuries and different things I Think they're kind of going on the feel-good factor at the moment and they want to enter championship with a bit of silverware. because like, you know, if either of these teams have silverware on the table by the end of this league, they go into championship saying, you know, we are the best team at the moment in the country. There's no reason we can't go out on the road, play whoever we need to play, and win the matches. I think I'm gonna go by look, if if Waterford, if Waterford play with the same energy I saw in the Tipperary match, I think there's very few teams can can compete against them when they're going like that. I, I, Wexford are hurling well there's absolutely no doubt and Rory O'Connor's flying but I do think Galway could have beaten Wexford up in Pear Stadium if Galway got to grips with them a little bit more and I do think we'd be talking about Wexford a little bit differently if they had that one defeat on, on their cards so I would be looking at Watford after the weekend just gone losing to Kilkenny Liam Cal going if Liam Cal is serious about it I think you'll have him revved up um, and I'm just going to edge it for Watford here so we've we have a nice little balance there James going for Wexford. I'm going for Watford this weekend. But like I said, I mean, it's it's by no means an easy one to call. It's it's a very tough one, but it's both teams formed. But I'm just going to give it to Watford just about.
1: All right, before, before we talk about Cork and Kilkenny, I'll just give you a rundown on the results in the weekend and how the final tables uh, stacked up. So in Division 1A, we had that win for Wexford against Cork, 122 to 117, 112 from the stick of Rory O'Connor. Uh, Limerick, uh, some of the benefits for them, Mike Casey coming back into the team, they had 11 scorers across the team, and Ocean O'Reilly scoring a goal in his first start. Probably could have scored a few more goals as well. Aaron Galan had one where he was in one-on-one, and, one and he blazed it over the bar. Uh, but Limerick winning in the end by 429 to 17 points. They finished in fourth place in Division 1A we'll talk about Limerick a bit in a minute as well uh, Offaly will face the relegation playoff against Antrim uh, Galway winning against Clare 25 points to 1 goal in 20 uh, the good news for Cl- for Clare at this stage is that Shane O'Donnell is apparently only a couple of weeks away uh, from being back into action as well so he should be back in time for championship which no doubt will boost their attack in 1B Kilkenny 2 goals 21 points Waterford 21 points uh, we had Dublin 2 goals and 31 points Leash 124 uh, Ree McBride was sent off for Dublin and uh, a bit like the Keane Lynch incident, really, in the All Ireland final last year, it was more of an MMA or judo style throw, uh, which got him a red card, which is unlikely to be overturned on appeal. You would think, and he will now miss the championship tie between the two teams. So there's a bit of boxing, I think, from Leash going into that game as well, knowing that they're playing Dublin in just a few weeks' time, and Tipperary opening up a bit against Antrim, seven twenty-eight to one seventeen. But Antrim did play very much a weakened selection with their relegation final, which they already knew they were in after their defeat against Leash, and um, so Tipperary were getting a bit of a clean shot at that. That one, knowing they had to win and hoped that Waterford would beat Kilkenny uh, just a point on uh, Tipperary as we wheel back down through these results James Jason Ford's playing half forward line if you're defending against Tipperary surely you're happy enough when Jason Ford is further away from goal I would think having him closer to goal is where you want him to be
2: yeah that's a, that's a good argument Will like I immediately asked me the question Like straight away I thought of uh, Joe Kenny when 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 he was con I suppose, consistently playing uh, in kind of the half-hour line or the midfield role. And I know from playing against players of that calibre, I, I, I personally like them as far away from the goal as possible. Um, you know, if, if they're, I suppose, in line to, to grab a couple of points in the half-hour line midfield, that's grand. That can be, can be kind of sort of managed a bit easier than if they're constantly coming through for goals or threatening goals. You know, I, I wouldn't like to do that myself. So I, I think he's probably, you know, especially with Seamus Canlan's injury that he's going to have at the moment um, kind of puts an out for the foreseeable. I think Jason Ford at 14 was the most logical, I suppose, uh, uh, thing to do. But then the more you think about it, you want your best players on the ball the whole time and they mightn't have the best balance at the moment. so That's why they're probably putting him in the in the mix out, out further to get him on the ball as much as he can. And I suppose if you give him a role simple, similar to what Rory O'Connor has at the moment, now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's got the same pace as Rory O'Connor, but you saw what he did in the, in the Munster final last year against Limerick, whereby he, I suppose, lashed on to a couple of items, a couple of balls and you know he can create a goal or two and, and on the score sheet can cause problems for defences, so I can see I can fully see the logic in it. Like, I can, I can see how he's picked in the half forward lane and doing damage, and he could potentially be full forward and do damage. So, it's a good, it's a good position for him to be in. It.
1: Yeah, who knows, Paul, when it comes around, maybe forward against Waterford in a few weeks' time in the championship ends up closer to goal. But it's definitely something they've been experimenting with the idea of him maybe playing in a slightly more withdrawn role. I'm not sure, maybe the fact if Callan's not available for championship or at the start of it, maybe four drifts back in. But at the moment, it seems playing him out around the centre-half-forward position is what they're looking at.
0: Yeah, and I think just Tipperary of wanting in mind at the moment is just literally getting the scoreboard moving. I think traditionally over the last maybe 10 years or, or more, they've had so many scorers spread around the pitch, you know, between Jamie Callan, uh, Bubbles, Dwyer, you know, Bonner was the workhorse there in the middle. He had Noel yeah, You know, you had so many lads knocked around Maybe just at the moment they, they just they're not that they're struggling for lads like that, but maybe they're just lacking the same numbers they had a few years ago. Jason Ford is the obvious man to get out there. You know we've seen Jake Morris winning balls into the full forward line and winning those scrappy balls and looking dangerous. So I think what what um, Colin Bonner and the lads are looking at at the moment is look we need to get the scoreboard move, moving. We need a reliable fella out around centre forward like James is saying, getting on the ball, who we know will put the ball over the bar, maybe steadying the ship and trying to root out a few more forwards that they might have there come championship. Like, again, we look at the league as a whole, and every team at the start of the league, the one thing they want to do by the end, like even regardless winning it or anything is unearth new players. Some teams have done it. Other teams haven't necessarily, Tipperary at the moment haven't maybe unearthed as many as they would have wanted to. So I think they're looking now towards going, yeah, we need to bring out forward, center forward. Hopefully Jake Morris in around the full forward line will, will do a job there. Potentially Shamie Callanan coming back. But I just think Tipperary are, are kind of they're, they're struggling to find that, you know, really strong six forwards. So if they ideally had a few more lads there, I think we see forward in towards full forward and being that goal threat. But I just think Tipperary are a small bit lacking in that area at the moment.
1: Mm. Final standings then In the table So Wexford top uh, Division 1A uh, They won all of their games 5 victories 10 points on the board After the win against Cork uh, Cork's only defeat But they knew They'd already qualified Because of their win Against Galway uh, They finish with uh, Just one defeat From the games that They played 4 wins 1 defeat uh, Finishing up Ahead of Galway who finish out with a victory Against Clare Then Limerick moved up to Third from bottom On the last day After that win against Offaly Clare finished second from bottom And Offaly prop up the table And they'll play Antrim this weekend At time of recording on the pod uh, We don't have those fixtures just yet uh, For this weekend But they're due to be played on Saturday Because the football finishes on Sunday And then 1B finished with Kilkenny top of the table Four wins from five uh, Waterford just behind them uh, The one draw leaving them on seven points uh, But they were ahead of Dublin On scoring difference uh, With Tipperary finishing third from bottom on six points bit of a gap then back to Leash who won the only important game for them which was against Antrim so Leash finish ahead of Antrim and Antrim go into the relegation playoff where they will play against Offaly this weekend in Division 2A down remarkable finish going to Mullingar and beating Westmeath and then beating Kerry at Ballycran means they go directly to the Division 2A final for this year Westmeath against Kerry is the other semi-final uh, which is on this weekend for the right to play against down in the final in a few weeks time Uh, Carlo finished just behind Kerry Uh, With their five points Which were accumulated From their five games And Kildare stay up On the last day One point ahead of Meath Who go down to Division 2B For next season So that's how it finished up In Division 2A In the final day The other semi-final then James To give you first shout On this one Before we talk to a Kilkenny man About it On the face of it Kilkenny Cork was the best game Of the Championship last year The one I certainly enjoyed the most For pure drama and excitement This could be If the two teams Go at each other full tilt A really good game this weekend
2: yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think um, I know. Let's say Kilkenny finished top of the, their side, but I think the fixture is going to be in Parkview due to a, I a, a return fixture that's all them during the, I suppose, the stadium's construction. So that's a, that is a big thing to play with because Northern Park can can have this this, I suppose, sense of being a bit tight. You know what I mean? And Parkview is very very expensive, and Cork's game seems to be built around expansion and built around towards, you know, obviously baller tension, but utilizing all the space with their speedy forwards and speedy players. So. I'm very interested to see how Kikini try and combat uh, the way Cork have been playing in Parky because they've been, they've been unstoppable down there to be honest and they're, they're playing with a frightening pace and their execution on the ball uh, especially with the games I've seen in Parky Cueve has been excellent. So you'd imagine that they'll show up there, close or very close to full squad full team to go against Kikini which will likewise be done by Cody. It has the makings of a great game. Um, I'm really interested to see how, how it pans out but what's sticking for me is, I suppose, is the way Cork have played in 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 Borki Quiv with a pitch that size with the players that have their availability. So I know I'm going to have to go against the grain of it here as well and try and call for Cork,
1: right? Maybe Paul surprises now and go, Actually, I think Cork are going to beat Kilkenny this weekend. Mm, go on, Paul. I doubt it. <laughs> no, I won't. No, like I tell you, there's uh,
0: I was looking at it again. Um, like this is as far as I'm concerned, this is win win for Kilkenny in, in 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 lots of ways because. You know, we're saying that it's they're, they're, their stock is on the rise in these things, and they're going down. This is a great test for the Kilkenny team. It's a great test for so many of the youngsters that are there to go down to Park Cleave and try to perform against the Cork team. And again, off the back of the All Ireland semi final last year, it's going to be a great gauge as well. For As far as I'm concerned, in many ways, the pressure's on Cork because, you know, we saw the Cork team that went out the weekend um, against Wexford, and maybe Kingston was holding back a small bit, hopefully, for this week that he's going to put out a really strong team. But, like, you know, for the Cork supporters anyway, I, I certainly believe Brian will put out a strong team going for a league title. You know, Kieran Kingston's in a position then where he can't necessarily put out a team on home ground that isn't up to the muster against Kilkenny. So I do think they're going to put out two strong teams. I believe, though, at the same time, if there's any doubt of injury in either camp, you know, we're getting very close now to Championship. Ideally, both sides want to put out their best team, but you're not going to risk anyone either. Kilkenny have the luxury of that Adrian Mullins coming back, got a nice bit of game time into his legs over the weekend. Um, and Owen Cody came on to him, so or came on for him. Then afterwards, so you Kenny are even introducing these lads back into it, which is brilliant as well. But look, I just think um, it's, again, it's it's brilliant that it's it, it's a tough one to call. But my loyalty is going to stay with Kilkenny on this one, just because I tipped Watford last weekend to beat Kilkenny in Nolan Park, which is look, where I suppose going with my brain, that was I, I let my brain talk last week and say that, and Kilkenny proved me wrong. So I think just where Kilkenny are at the moment, I do think that they're going to go really seriously at Cork this weekend. And like I said, I've said it a few weeks now, I think the jury is still kind of out on on Cork. Um, And I just think that this weekend Kilkenny are going to try and go for a league title. Maybe Cork, I don't know, will they hold back looking at maybe a more hectic schedule in Munster as well, but... And um, people can criticise say that I'm, I'm being very loyal there, but I, I think that Kenny might just fit them. And, you know, they've, they've proved us wrong once or twice, going to Dublin, performing really well. They've done it again against Watford yesterday. I just think they might up it again this weekend and put in a good performance against Cork.
1: Yeah, James, when it comes to Cork, like the Limerick game looms large at the start of the Championship and the first concern would be to have everyone fit and firing and ready for that game and you'd probably pick that over winning a league title. But at the same time for Kieran Kingston's side, piece of silverware wouldn't be a bad way to start the year given that Cork's form right up until last, that last game has been really good this year.
2: Yeah, I, I, mean, I think a piece of silverware is good for the group, you know, especially a group that's probably young and there's a lot of them in the 20s being introduced and I <laughs> I know I know the Limerick game looms large, but also, and I can see why Paul is kind of he's saying the jury, the jury is out on court, because that other defeat is still heavily, heavily there. You know, and don't get me wrong, they had super performances against Galway and Parky Creeve, a super performance against you know Limerick in, in their home ground, and you'd say right, that that's that hatch buried. I I agree with Paul to a certain extent. There's an element that's still there. Don't get me wrong. Um, but checking this game for its merit, I can see where it's coming from. And I do I do think they're going to go heavy at it. And I think they have the the stuff to go and. And topical kinney, you no, know, whether whether or not they'll um, you know, they'll produce the type of performance to beat Limerick twice in the one year, you know, in in a couple of weeks' time remains to be seen. But I think if there's a championship there or a league or a title of any kind of sort that's there for the taken and and the field, they have the stuff to go and do it, they're gonna go for it.
1: All right, I'm going to ask you to defend your your top five and some of the selections in a moment, uh, James. Before that, Paul, Eddie Brennan was tweeting in the middle of the game yesterday with Kilkenny and Waterford, and he took up uh, David Blanchfield. Find of the hurling (coughs) season so far by a mile is Eddie's take on it. Uh, He was also uh, praising Rory O'Connor a little bit later on his timeline as well about being the form hurler currently. Uh, But Blanchfield has been excellent. We spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, how he's just fit in nicely In that half-back line, he's a wing forward who's not afraid to go up the field a little bit. I remember a few years ago when he was a 20s player, he was definitely not carrying as much muscle as he is now. He's he's definitely grown out a little bit and he's become a very, very good senior hurler. And he's a find for Kilkenny before the Championship, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he is. He is. And like that wing-back position there... Um, like it can be such an influential position either side five or seven, you know, it can be such an influential position in the game. But he's just, I suppose, week on week, he's grown into the position. Um, you know, we saw early, I suppose, flickers of him finding his feet and performing well. The Dublin performance was really the one that we kind of said, okay, this fella, you know, he really knows what he's about now. He understands his position. Like we know he understands it, but it's another thing growing into it at, at senior level. Um, popped up with his few points, but then again, yesterday, you know, really really dominated the position. Uh, I, th- I thought something that was really good was, you know, Waterford threatened on goal in the second half, I think maybe 10 minutes to go and the ball popped through. I think Desi Hutchinson popped it through. Now, okay, it wasn't the best ball could have been given the hand a little bit better, but once the small bit of a mistake was made by the Waterford forward, Blanchfield was back covering and he got the flick. Like, so once you gave him that bit of an opening, he's there to cut the ball out. We saw him even track him back a small bit and, just the cleverness that we know he's capable of great things getting the ball driving forward getting scores but he just does the simple things really well he flicked the ball back if you actually look um for mikey mikey uh butler when he got the shoulder there um for for the waterman being sent off for for the uh, foreign being sent off it was actually blanchfield was tracking back instead of blanchfield rising the ball he just flicked it back on the ground traditionalist ground hurling He flicked it back he wasn't looking to rise the ball come out with it himself maybe do it a bit harder so what I think is just showing there for a young man he's showing great maturity that he knows what to do like he he got another ball there in the second half as well which he got a point against Dublin just around I suppose out towards sideline the left sideline um, at midfield he looked around there was nothing on so he just stuck it over the bar he got a ball in the same position late enough in the match yesterday and I suppose I was going to say yeah he's going to go for it here now and he looked up and there was something on so he said and given that ball, you know, he wasn't swayed by what he had done in the Dublin match. So, yeah, he's a great find. He's a great find and what Brian will be saying to him at the moment is, you know, no more than what Brian said to me after he put together a few performances, look, two swallows don't make a summer. Just that you're going well now but this is league and coming to the championship, we want you him well for championship. So, Brian will definitely have, have, I suppose, his, his cards marked there that, yeah, you're going well at the moment but that's all easily undone if you think that this is the beast you're dealing with with championship. Unfortunately, it's not. So he is the find and it's great to have someone like that and look, a week before we're talking about Keen Kenny being a great find in midfield mm. so it's brilliant that Kilkenny, certainly as a Kilkenny supporter that we found these few lads who look like they'll, they'll gather great traction over the next
1: few years. Well Paul, you mentioned Mikey Butler I know you're a big fan of his as well.
0: Yeah, Mikey's a great lad and I was saying to you there you know, I texted into the group there saying that uh, Mikey was in with us in 2015 he actually came in as a helping the kit man you know and he just came in Wanting to do Anthony could come to training sessions, handing out bottles of water, handing out jerseys and so on. And, you know, he was always hurling well with Lachlan's real sticky cornerback. And what I was actually saying before this Waterford match, I was saying if Desi Hutchinson plays, Mikey Butler is the man for him because Mikey Butler will go out and he does not care if he doesn't touch a ball. He will happily be the man, like James was saying earlier, if you're going out and you need someone to mark Rory O'Connor. But Mikey Butler is that type of player. He's tenacious. He'll get the flick, get the block. He doesn't care if his name is in the paper the following day for being an outstanding you know, defender or different things he just does things really well um, and he's performed really well another fella which I think maybe suits him at the moment yet we're talking about David Blanchfield and Keane Kenny and, and different lads Mikey's tipping away corner cornerback doing great work there now and like I said he was giving out the jerseys a few years ago and now he's grabbing one for himself so he's, he's, uh, it's a great time for him
1: Yeah James it's a great time to scout players across the country is there anyone who's particularly stood out for you after the regular section of the league then?
2: I be careful now with this, Will, because uh, the last time I named five players, I got, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got a lot of feed,
2: Right? No, what I did, though, is I picked out, I kind of took it like, um, if I was to pick kind of a hurler, hurler of the league and a young hurler of the league, I picked out three players of each that I thought performed very well. I'm not saying they performed, like, obviously I'm saying they performed, in my view, the best, but I'm not saying that others didn't perform, right? So right. In kind of, on, the, on the younger side of things, if I was to pick a young hurler, I'm going with what, what Paul said as well, like David Blanchfield has impressed me an awful lot. I've said, also, Roland Lennon, midfield player for Galway. I thought he has been a revelation. A guy who wouldn't have been necessarily touted as being an instant impact into Galway. And let's go and behold, over the, the last three months, let's say, he's come into the group. He's established a starting jersey. And now he looks to be one of their mainstay players in midfield. He's scored in pints every day. So that's great for them. And the last one, then I have Colin Cot- O'Neill. I know he, may have, he might not have scored the most for Limerick in, in this year's um, league campaign, but he seems to have added you know, another dimension to the kind of Limerick play in terms of centre-forward, half-forward play, and especially when you're missing someone of the calibre, Peter Casey. I think he's a great find for people in Limerick. Um, and then I picked out the likes of, you know, I, I was impressed with Alan Connolly, I was impressed with Ryan Taylor, uh, you know, Shane Meakin, these guys, so they did fierce well. On the senior, kind of the, the older generation players, you can put it, um, I have Parik Walsh. Um, he's just been fantastic for Kenny There's no way to put it. Every day I've seen him, he's been excellent um, and creates an awful lot for them, and I think if he stays with the form he's producing at the minute, he becomes a very, very important part of that forward unit. You know, Obviously, he's an important part, part of the Kilkenny squad and, and team, predominantly as a defender, but now what he's offering the forward unit and as an outball scoring, the, just the great attitude of tackling, tenacious tackling, and he does the brilliant basics. That's, I, lo- I love the a park Walsh, same with his brother. You never see him missing a touch, missing a pick-up, missing a hand-pass, missing a catch. He always does brilliant basics. That he's able to help guys produce all around him, so he's been he's been truly excellent. And um, we mentioned Rory O'Connor, I've covered him already in this in this section. Like he's just been flying form. I think he's going to continue it throughout the weekend. The last one in is from Watford is, is Stephen Bennett. So he's producing, you know, the goods for Watford Great guy to hold up the ball for them. Great tackler, and uh, it will be very important the year going forward.
1: Right, hold that thought for a minute, James, because I want to play a little bit back to you from off the ball yesterday. So this is after the Kilkenny-Waterford game. Uh, Michael Welch, the former Kilkenny hurler and uh, former coach with many teams over the last few years, was speaking to our own Dahi Boland about the decision not to put TJ Reid in James Skell's top five.
0: I want to get your thoughts, Michael, there on the hurling pod during the week. We have Paul Murphy, former Kilkenny hurler, and Jane Skettel, a former Galway hurler, along with Willow Callahan. And they had to pick their top hurlers in the country at the moment, their top five, and Paul Murphy had TJ Reid in it, you know, as we'd expect.
2: Jane Skettle left them out, though. Can you? Are you surprised about that to leave TJ Reid out of your top five hurlers in the country? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't ever leave him out anyway. But I, I, maybe James is coming from the point of view he hasn't. Uh, I don't know what way that went as regards are they hurling at the moment. But in the top five hurlers in the country, absolutely never. I think that you know he's going to be. I think TJ will be watching this and he'll be saying, you know what, there's a real good energy about Le Kenny, and I think he, he'll come back in there and he could be an orchestrator of that of
1: that forward line as well. And you no, know, every day of the week, TJ Reid's in my top five anyway. So that's what Michael Welch had to say. He said every day of the week, TJ Reid's in his team Doesn't matter Doesn't matter what age group You're picking You would put TJ Reid right now Once he's still hurling Into his team Uh, But also we'd Stephen McDonough In contact Among many of our YouTube comments From last week And he was also Making the point James Which you can defend this one More so than TJ Because with TJ You're going to say You were picking another 28 He says Skel with no Tony Kelly In his top 20 hurlers Ah come on now I'll give you the benefit Of the doubt That it was an oversight If you don't think He's in the top 5 Most valuable hurlers You're losing credibility He's been carrying (laughs) Claire on his back for Many a year,
2: yeah. Look, fair comment. I, I, I like we could pick 20 hurdlers here, and you could run around the county or different different counties, and each, each person would pick out probably one or two. Everybody would be agreed with the next three, four, and five. You know, it's the bowl of contention. Every all star team that comes out, and that's picked between 10 or 11 journalists, there's always someone that's pointed out that shouldn't be on the team or that should be on the team for, for X reasons. So I get it. Like, I, I was in Cheltenham on Wednesday, and a fella came up to me, swear to God giving out about Tony Kelly not being the top five. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was thinking, like, have you got better things to be doing than tackling me about this, you know? But I can understand where they come from. He's a Claire man, passionate, why well, he's produced for Claire over the last kind of eight, eight seasons has, has, been, has been excellent. You know, he's very important to him. Like, if Clare are to go forward, he's to be the main band. But he's just not in my top five. That's simple as that, you know? And that can be, <laughs> that can be debated and, you know, we can cover this and cover that. But at the end of the day, I'm quite
1: content with the five guys I picked. Right. I'm sure after Flooring Porter won, you didn't really care too much about Claire's supporters coming up to you and giving you a hassle about him not being in the top five. Uh, have you got any blowback about TJ Reid?
2: I've got a bit, yeah, but that one I'm a bit, I'm a bit happier with, like Tony Kelly turned 29, so I was kind of saying, yeah, I can understand people giving out to me. TJ's my age, so I said, no. Like if there's a transfer market tomorrow morning, <laughs> I'd say, you know, he wouldn't guarantee the 200 million. <laughs> that <a> key list <laughs> <nice> word, right? <laughs> TJ right, Reid look lads TJ Reid he's a genius because that was one of the best players of all time you know, that, that, which, uh, that's, I, I, I'm afraid to say it because it'll be repeated <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> he'll, he'll still probably produce great goods this year you know, when, when you mentioned about the lead team coming back into the Kikini or the Wexford team I was going to throw a sly one there to Paul and say will TJ get back into the Kini team now <laughs> the way things are going
1: <laughs> go on take the sly one up Paul before we finish TJ Reid's going to get directly back into the team isn't he
0: oh i think he is to be honest yeah um i think there's a place for tj to be honest in, in, in any team at the moment he's not shown any sign of, of of slowing down and again even if he did show signs of it um which i don't think he is i still think there's a place for him in terms of what he's cap- capable of he creates an extra yard for himself so i don't as good as everything has been for kenny i still think there's no one played tj out the same way that we're Talking about Wexford taking over at the moment. So, yeah, I think once Kenny comes to championship, TJ Reid will be somewhere in the, I suppose, uh, 10 to 15 area. I won't say <laughs> where. <laughs>
1: No colours to the mask there when we come around to the first couple of rounds of championship when they play against Westmeath and Leash I think in the first two rounds. Uh, We'll see where TJ Reid is. If you're uh, watching us on YouTube uh, from Tuesday on in the week, uh, probably the best way to get in contact is uh, just to leave us a comment uh, below if you're one of off the balls already 100,000 subscribers. Uh, If you're not, maybe subscribe to the uh, channel as well. If you're listening to us on any of your podcasting apps through the OTBGEA stream, uh, you might give us a review or maybe some comments there as well. We'll keep an eye out for them during the week we're looking forward to the semi-finals this weekend then in division one of the hurling league we've got that derby between waterford and wexford and kilkenny against cork which should be very tasty indeed both games paul james thanks a million for joining us on the hurling pod and we'll talk to you to break down those two semi-finals next week
2: thanks man